The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in His kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. It's just dawned on me in the last several years that I grew up with a pretty bad misconception about the world. Uh, mostly because my father was an educator. I've mentioned this to you before. He started out as a band director and an American history teacher, and he ended up uh, retiring from the superintendent's office and had a doctorate from Old Miss in education. And so the things that happened in my house when I was a kid, I thought were happening everywhere. I thought everyone's father sat them down during dinner and gave long history lessons about America. And apparently that did not happen because the more conversations I have, either in person or in social media, I know, I recognize something. Americans don't know much American history. And a ton of the American history we think we know isn't actually true. And it's not because there's not a lot of material out there. It's not that there's not a lot of research or you can't Google all of this stuff. It's that we just don't read it, we just don't know. And so one of the great things about being part of a community, community like Ecclesia is that we have been doing series like this summer where we look at extraordinary women throughout the Christian tradition who have had amazing things to teach us about the way of God and how God is at work in the world and what God might be inviting us into as people and as a community. And so today, I wanna introduce you to one of those great women who my father introduced me to when I was a boy. And her name is Fannie Lou Hamer. Fannie Lou Hamer was a civil rights activist in the 50s and 60s in the Mississippi Delta. And not only was I born in Mississippi, her story crosses mine in a number of different ways. Fannie Lou Hamer was born in 1917 and she died in 1977. And even though I recognize most people have not ever heard of Fannie Lou Hamer, Malcolm X called her America's number one female freedom fighter. And as many of you have studied the writings and speeches of Martin Luther King Jr., there is one person that Martin Luther King Jr. decided he would never speak after, and it was Fannie Lou Hamer. And she was born into a sharecropping family, which is really where all of this story starts. Because from the end of the Civil War until about 1952, there are over 4,000 documented cases of lynchings in America. And lynchings are different than murder because lynchings were meant to prove a point, not only to punish whoever the offender was, but for anyone who would watch or see. And you can still find pictures. It wasn't like it is in the movies where all of these lynchings happened in the darkness of night where there would just be some Klansmen who show up at someone's house or drag them to a river and lynch them and it'd just be a group of 10 guys standing around. Many of them were public affairs with photographers on hand. And families 
would stand posed under a swinging body and take photographs and prints were made. And this was the Mississippi where Fannie Lou Hamer was born. And you might be like me because I was born in Mississippi. It's easy to like take pot shots at Mississippi. But in the words of Fannie Lou Hamer, Mississippi is not Mississippi's problem. Mississippi is America's problem. And Fannie Lou Hamer was born into a sharecropping family because after the Civil War, after the slaves are emancipated, what are you gonna do if you are a landowner to replace your income lost because you've lost all of this free labor? They invent sharecropping. And sharecropping is a pretty simple practice where you find a family to work your land and the deal seems pretty straightforward. It's my land, but you work it and we split the proceeds 50-50. But here's the problem. It's their land, you work it, you live on it. But you, the sharecropper, have to purchase your own seed and tools. You have to take care of and feed your own animals. And if it's a bad year, stuff doesn't grow, it's not the land's fault, it's the sharecropper's fault. And then when you get ready to settle up, you take all that you have grown, you don't take it to some arbitrary observer, you take it to the landowner and they tell you how much it's worth. They set the price. And oftentimes, while they're setting the price, they decide they're not gonna pay you in cash. They're going to pay you in coupons that can only be used at the landowner's store. And the prices are exorbitant. You are essentially in debt to the landowner, enslaved all over again to the landowner. About 15 years ago, I got a call from my father and he says, have you read this new book by this guy, David Blackman? And I said, no, what is it? He says, it's slavery by another name. And that's what sharecropping was. When Fannie Lou Hamer was six years old, the owner of the land that her family sharecropped came to her and he says, you look like you're pretty strong. Why don't you pick some cotton for me? I'll pay you. And not only that, I'll, I'll, I'll pay you and you can buy all of these things at my store, Cracker Jacks and candy. And so being six, that sounded pretty good. So she decides to go pick cotton. And Fannie Lou Hamer says that from that day on, she was in debt for the rest of her life. Matter of fact, she says this, if a white man gives you anything, just remember when he gets ready, he will take it right back. In 1961, Fannie Lou Hamer had a uterine tumor. 
And so she went to the doctor to have the tumor removed. And while he was removing the tumor, he gave her a forced hysterectomy. And this happened all the time in the South in the 50s and 60s as a way to control the black population. Matter of fact, it was so common that they called it the Mississippi appendectomy. And she was never able to have children, but later adopted. Well, one of the sayings that you've probably heard a lot in your lifetime was one of Fannie Lou Hamer's favorite when she says, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. So in 1962, she goes to hear a minister named James Bevel preach at a church. And Bevel was an associate of Dr. King's and he was talking that night about voting rights and registering African-Americans in Mississippi to vote because you actually don't have any rights if you can't do two things. If you can't vote and you can't sue people for your rights, you don't have any. And in the message that night in the sermon, Fannie Lou Hamer, her life has changed. She is so inspired by what she hears from James Bevel that she decides that she is going to register to vote and take as many people with her. This is what she said. She says, when they asked for those to raise their hands who'd go down to the courthouse the next day, I raised mine, had it up, had it high up as I could get it. I guess if I had any sense, I'd have been a little scared, but what was the point of being scared? The only thing they could do to me was kill me. And it seemed like they had been trying to do that a little bit at a time ever since I could remember. Well, she does go the next day. They load up on a bus and go down to the courthouse. And everyone's excited about the prospect of voting until they get there. And then everyone just sits still on the bus. They're afraid to go in until one woman stands up and walks to the front of the bus, says, I'll go. And that woman was Fannie Lou Hamer. And after that, they all tumble out, but the county clerk says, you can't have all these people in, so only two at a time. So the rest go and load up the boat. Fannie Lou stays to go in to register. And then she meets the literacy test. And the literacy test wasn't designed to actually test literacy. It was designed to keep black people from registering to vote. And so at the beginning, everything seems pretty straightforward. The questions, 21 questions they asked, what's your name? But then it gets a little more complicated. Where do you work? Well, in 1962 in Mississippi, if I tell you where I work, my boss is going to know that I came down here to register to vote before I get home. 
and there are consequences to that. Next question, where do you live? Well, if I tell you where I live, the clan is going to know before I get home. It reminds me of stories that my grandfather used to tell me about whenever there was something going on in town, whenever there was a dust up, how he and his siblings wouldn't sleep in the house for a couple of nights, that they would roll up their bedrolls and go out into the woods because they would be harder to find. And then the next questions about the Mississippi Constitution. I grew up in Mississippi. I didn't even know there was a Mississippi Constitution. You miss any question. You don't dot an I, you miss a comma, you don't cross a T, you fail the literacy test. And so she did. She went home that night and her kids met her. She said, Mr. Marlowe, the man who she worked for, said, Mr. Marlowe was just here and he's fighting mad. And he was. Later that night, Mr. Marlowe shows up, confronts her about going to try to register to vote, tells her, you need to go back down there and undo whatever you did and don't ever do that again. He says, if you don't take care of this tomorrow, you're fired. And she told him, you don't have to fire me. I quit. As soon as he left, she packed up her belongings, her children, and went and stayed at a friend's house. And she stayed there just a few nights because she knew that sooner or later, folks would find out where she was. And that's exactly what happened. The night after Fannie Lou Hamer left her friend's house, the room where she was sleeping in was shot, six, shot up 16, with 16 bullets. But that didn't keep her from trying to register to vote. She went down a second time and she didn't pass the test. But the third time was the charm. And she passed the voting rights test. And that day, the day that she passed, the day that she registered to vote, her husband lost his job. Fannie Lou Hamer decided that God's call on her life, like in this season, was to register people to vote. So just a year later, she was invited to South Carolina to a training, a voting rights training, and she and several other women from Mississippi went. And on their way back, their bus stopped at the bus stop in Winona, Mississippi. And, and by this time, the country had gotten past who could serve who and who could eat where, but apparently not at this bus stop. 
and she and her friends were denied service. And the police were called and everything was talked through. And as the police were leaving, one of Fannie Lou's friends, a lady named Anel Ponder, wrote down the police officer's license plate. And apparently, that police officer didn't care all that much for public accountability because he went back to the bus and got several other officers, grabbed Anel Ponder and Fannie Lou and their friends and dragged them out. They were arrested, but they weren't taken to the city jail. They were taken to the county jail. And Fannie Lou Hamer says that they were taken to the county jail so that no one could hear them scream. And the first up was a nail ponder, and they took her out of her cell to a back room and for hours beat her. They demanded that Anel Ponder refer to the police officers as sir. And she said, I don't know you well enough. And Fannie Lou says as she was walking back, her eye was just oozing blood. And the next up was a 15-year-old girl. And then finally, Fannie Lou Hamer. And the police officers came into her cell and they said, get up, fatso. And dragged her down, strapped her to a bed face down, and then brought in two black inmates and told them it was their job to beat her. And not only that, it says, if you don't do what we say, then you know what we're going to do to you. And that's what they did. Fannie Lou Hamer later said that they beat her so badly, her body became metal. Well, after she was back in her cell, she was visited by a local townswoman, a white woman, who came and spoke to her and dressed her wounds. And it turns out the woman who came to visit her after her beating was the jailer's wife. And Fannie Lou says, you must be a Christian woman. She says, well, I try, I go to church. She says, when you get home, would you look up two verses? And she gave her two verses, one from the book of Proverbs and one from the book of Acts. And in some ways, that's the end of that story. The jailer's wife is never heard from again, 
No one ever knows what happens to her. But if she were to go home and look up those two passages, this is what she would have found. Because the first was Proverbs 26, 26, where it says, and though he covers his hatred with cleverness, his wicked ways will be publicly exposed. And this is the voice of the prophets. Because not just for the jailer's wife, but for all sorts of religious people all through time, there has been this temptation that we can do whatever and be whatever and believe whatever. And if we're good enough at concealing it, then we'll be fine. And what Fannie Lou Hamer is calling our attention to is all the places where we have been unjust people, all of the places where we have not seen and appreciated and applauded the image of God in others will be exposed. Now, not just then, but throughout history and in our time and in our lives, there is evil that hides under the cover of our politics, of the way that we experience the world, of our privilege, that we are participating in evil that is destructive to people and we think we can cover it with a Band-Aid. And the second scripture she would have found is from Acts 17, 26. This God made us in all our diversity from one original person, allowing each culture to have its own time to develop, giving each its own place to live and thrive in its own distinct ways. This is one God, and this one God is the creator of all humankind. And the only way to live the life of that God is to be a people who see in other people their godness. That not just you, but everyone, that we are one people created by one God. It's interesting because Fannie Lou Hamer believed the rest of her life that they had actually intended to kill them that night. But they didn't because in the wee hours of that night, another civil rights leader in Mississippi had been assassinated. His name was Medgar Evers. And she, she believes that they were fearful because all the eyes of the world were going to be on Mississippi anyway, that they decided to just let them go. And if you've known me for a while or, or if you've read my book, Unarmed Empire, you will remember that at the time that Medgar Evers was assassinated, 
that my father was his paper boy? We act like the call to justice is for someone else in some other time. But these are right at our footsteps. And when her friends and family asked her if she were scared of being killed, if she was gonna stop because of her beating, this is what Fannie Lou Hamer says. She said, if I fall, I'll fall five foot four inches forward in the fight for freedom. I'm not backing off. Here's what you need to know, Ecclesia. I don't know exactly what your life is like. I don't know what your story is. And in a church like ours, over three campuses with four worship gatherings each week, there's just no way that I could, but I do know this, that from the beginning of time, the call, the invitation from God to his people has always been to be a people of justice. And we fool ourselves because what we want in our soul is to be a people of comfort. But in both the First Testament and the New Testament, over and over and over again, what marks the people of God over and above other people is not their worship practices, it's not their gatherings, it's not the societies that they build, the economics, it's whether or not we are people of justice. As a matter of fact, in the book of Isaiah, the people of God are saying to God over and over and over again, we're the people of God, we're the people of God. God, we've done all of the stuff that you have asked us to do. Like, like we, we give when we should, we show up where we should, we worship where we're supposed to, we've kept all of the fasting laws and all of the rituals. We've done all of the stuff. And through Isaiah, this is what the Lord says to the people of God. No, what I want in a fast is this, to liberate those tied down and held back by injustice, to lighten the load of those heavily burdened, to free the oppressed and shatter every type of oppression. A fast for me involves sharing your food with people who have none, giving those who are homeless a space in your home, giving clothes, to those who need them and not neglecting your own family. For the last 50 years, the American church has done just the opposite. And we have decided that we would take care of our family first and everyone else second, third, or fourth. And that's never been the way. And if you want to know if you are a follower of God, it's not necessarily how much Bible you read or how loud you sing. It's whether you do justice. And the scriptures bring this to us over and over again. And when the prophet Micah is asked about this, this is what Micah says. He's told you 
what is good in his sight. But what else does the eternal ask of you but to live justly and to love kindness and to walk with your true God in all humility? And so this shows up for all of us in different ways. But my prayer for me, my prayer for you, is that from today forward, we would be people who live justly. And if in the course of that, we fall, let's just fall forward. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.